Hello. Hi, Dad. This is your official podcast debut. Are you excited? I am. I am very excited. Okay, amazing. So when I was doing research for my interview with Melissa Etheridge, I found a text that you sent to me. Uh, let me pull it up. This is dated March 28th, 2020. It says, Do I recall hearing that you love Melissa Etheridge? I just heard an incredible song from her called Like The Way I Do. And then it goes on to say, It's got the most incredible rock beat in a driving song that just doesn't quit. I had to look it up, exclamation point. Do you know it? And then I said, yes, I love her. That's one of her classics, for sure, exclamation point. It's been a bit, but do you remember this text? When you read the text, I was like, oh my goodness, that is that song. Cause like, it goes on forever, I was just telling you. But in, in a car and I turn it up and everything like this, now I can, I can recall that. It's such a big song of hers and I loved it. I just loved it, yes. It, well, in, in my memory, and this could be completely false or just made up, but I remember you talking about her and she was this amazing singer with this amazing voice, not this amazing lesbian singer. Like that wasn't like the first part of her identity. I mean, when she came out, do you remember being a big deal to you or just even in general? I mean, that's that that's the music industry, that's Hollywood, and and that didn't change anything because her music was so good. Wait, 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 what, what does that mean that that's just like Hollywood and the music industry? Are you saying that everyone's gay? <laughs> no, I'm not saying that, but it, it wasn't unusual to have personalities come out and say they were gay versus the layman, you know, were still in the closet, if you will. And so personalities came out and I, I don't know. Remember, that's a long time ago and things were very different back in those days. That is true. You know, in the five year history of this podcast, you are only the second straight person to ever be on the show. It is you and Renee Zellweger. Do you feel special? I do, but maybe there's something I need to tell you. Oh, okay, and we're out of time. <laughs> All right, on that note, let's get to the interview. Dad, thank you for being here. And from The Advocate Magazine in partnership with Glad, this is LGBTQ and A with Melissa Etheridge, whose brand new album, One Way Out, is out now. I want to start by going back a bit. In the late 80s, early 90s, I think that period during your first couple records is so compelling because you were not out publicly, but in your private life, you were. You had girlfriends, you played gay bars, you were living a very gay life. Now, I know it was a different time, but did it feel like you were living two completely separate lives? Back then, no. It was very much don't ask, don't tell. And there was kind of an assumption with the majority of people. There was just this line when it came to reviews or to the press where it was very gender nonspecific. They would just say, you know, well, is this about a boyfriend? I would say, well, my partner, blah, blah. I would always answer non-specifically. And when I played concerts, you know, my first few rows were always lesbians, were always women. And it was, it was obvious. It was one of the reasons I came out. It's like, come on, this is getting kind of ridiculous, you know, that it's really obvious. So how did that don't ask, don't tell mentality like affect your art though? Like, were you afraid to put like two overtly gay lyrics in your music? I, I was very was very aware of my lyrics. But the funny thing was, even when I was playing gay bars, I didn't write overtly. I, I never went, you know, and I love her. You know, I, I never 
I never wrote like that because I did want my music to be universally. I wanted to, if a woman was singing about a guy, you know, if, if a woman is thinking about a guy, I want her to be able to, you know, sing, oh, somebody bring me some water. You know, I, I kept it very gender nonspecific for, for that reason. I do think, too, though, you've songs like Meet Me in the Back. You know, this is about a woman, you picking someone up at a bar and saying like, hey, meet me in the back. We're going to go at it. <laughs> you know, I think that like obviously a woman pursuing someone is not gay, but it does have this like kind of like gay sensibility to it. Yes, there was definitely a power to it. And I believe that's why so many gay, you know, lesbians like heard it and went, wait a minute, that's a lesbian singing that because, you know, nobody sings like that about a guy you know, that, that sort of thing, you know, to me, it was obvious, but again, I just, I kept the specific pronouns out. Is there an example of like a lyric that you changed in a song to make it like less specific? No, I didn't change any, but when I went to write about things, I, I remember thinking, okay, well, I can always write about the other woman, you know, the go on and close your eyes. Imagine me there. She's got similar features, you know, cause I'm a woman, so I can sing about that. I know uh, I would write things and I would, the way that I would write, I would either write about, oh, you're cheating on me with another woman or, you know, you're with somebody else or it's me and you, I'm singing directly to you. You know, there, I, I never did a, you know, a her or a him about the person that I, the, the relationship I was singing about. So I, I specifically would choose that way to write about it. So I didn't have to write about the gender of the person that's, breaking my heart you know that's a lot of like mental gymnastics like in the songwriting process yeah did that feel freeing then to not have to do that well it it became a craft actually it became like something that i was crafting and that i still kind of do to this day i mean you know every now i'll be much more relaxed in you know when i'm singing about my wife and and matters now i will i will be more open about it but Still, the majority of my songs are kind of genderless. Well, I think that like as a listener, I I think it's like a nuanced conversation because I really want to hear a woman singing about a woman on the radio. But I also want like the more universal songs like like come to my window. I think you say like this love and everyone thinks like this love is like about them. Yeah, that's the way I, I want my songs to be relatable. I want men, women, straight, gay. I, I want them to I, I want it to be the common human experience. And so you did come up publicly in 93. This was like pre-Ellen DeGeneres, pre-Rosie O'Donnell. Did it feel like alone in a way? It was scary in that there wasn't a whole lot of people. Katie Lang came out a few weeks before I did. So, uh, and we were all very good friends back then. Ellen, Rosie, Katie, I, we were, you know, we were in this uh, sort of this gay underground Hollywood, you know, and we were all very much out in Hollywood and so it was, uh, to me, I was like, KD jumped out, did, a, did an interview with The Advocate and didn't really ever say she was gay, but it's like, hey, you're on the cover of The Advocate, probably means you're gay, you know? And, and, and she was very obvious, you know, in her look and demeanor. So it, it just seemed, it seemed right. It seemed like the thing that, it, it just, it seemed natural. I was always wondering, like, how did you and all the women you named find each other if you were in the closet? But I guess to your answer, it's like you weren't in the closet, really, like socially. Yeah, I know. I met KD at the first Grammy Awards. 
I walked up to her because obviously, I, yeah, you, I looked at her and went, duh, you know, I know this woman. And I met her and that, and we both brought our girlfriends to the Grammys. So we're like, hey, this is my girlfriend. And so we were out. Ellen DeGeneres was a huge fan of mine and knew some friends that knew me. And I just met her. And so she was I, I knew her when she was you know, like a, just a stand up comic. You know, she hadn't done anything. So we all became friends just because she was just a comic. And then she that first year she became, I think, best comic or something that year, you know, best stand up comic. And then she got a television show. Then she got another one, you know, and then and then Rosie was a, a VJ on VH1 and also a stand up comic. And we kind of back then we had a lot more time to hang out. Now we have terribly busy you know, lives and we rarely see each other. But, you know, back then we were all living in Hollywood trying to make it. So it, we just, you know, you, you do find each other. So among the community of women that we're talking about, did any of you ever date? Can I ask that? Oh, you can ask that. No, it's so funny. We were all none of us. Rosie, Ellen, KD, me, I'm trying to think. No, none of us ever uh, dated each other. KD slept with my girlfriend, which, you know, anyway. <laughs> but no, I think I think we were both all very sort of powerful. Do I say tops? I don't know. You know, what, you, know yeah. you know, we were all and so we weren't really attracted to each other. We were like, you know, friends. Well, with that, like top energy you just named, if we can call it that. Yeah, yeah. I also think when you were starting out, you, you know, your gorgeous hair and like makeup and you were presenting very like femme. Was that the industry like telling you to do that or is that you? You know, the industry really didn't tell me much. I was very blessed to have the record company I had was Island Records. It was Chris Blackwell who owned Island Records. He was like the head of Island Records. So he he had the last say and he discovered me in a women's bar. I had these industries, the whole industry knew I was gay because they had all come to the women's bars to, to see me and, and didn't sign me. And he did. He, he never, he liked what he saw. He liked the strong, soft, butch kind of woman that I was. Me, I got out there and went, oh gosh, you know, what's the world going to say? And so I kind of, I didn't necessarily film up. I, I think the only time that they ever, like went, oh, we want you to do a little bit more makeup on you was the third album I did. I did two photo shoots for Never Enough. One was kind of sporty, soft butch. And then they they brought in another makeup person and they kind of cut, that's when they cut my bangs. And then I, and, and you'll see like on the back of the album, there's this really gorgeous picture of me. That was about as glam. I let them kind of do that, you know, here or there. And then by the time Yes I Am came out, which was the next record, that photo shoot, I went, no, 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 I'm being myself. Let's just, you know, and, and from then on, it's everything you've seen has always been how I feel and who I am. And so eventually coming out publicly, even though it was known within the industry, did you still have worries that it would affect your career? Well, sure, you know, and but I had had such a positive experience from when when I came out with my family, my father was like, Okay, I don't really understand it, but as long as you're happy, fine. And so I had that sort of solid thing. My mother, she she had problems anyway with herself. But then by the mid, you know, by, by the time I was 25, she was like, okay. And she had met my girlfriend. So I was, I was out to my family. It wasn't a problem. I was definitely out. I was in the community. I was hanging around some really strong uh, leaders, you know, uh, Irvish Evade and 
you know, some some huge LGBT leaders in Hollywood and in Washington. They kept, hey, will you do this for this? And they and they kind of kept keeping me in the, you know, the the community without being out yet. And finally, I was just like, well, look at how hard these people are working for our rights. This was this was AIDS you know, the big height of AIDS. And I thought, why, why am I, as, as my fame is rising, as I'm, my success is getting larger, why am I, it's going to look like I'm hiding this. And what happened was there was an interview I did with Music Exchange. It used to be, it was a music store and they had their in-house like magazine. It was my first like cover of a magazine, you know, and, and I did this long interview with this guy and all neutral pronouns. And when it came out, he had changed all the pronouns to me saying my boyfriend. And it horrified me because I thought, oh my God, people are going to read this and think that I'm lying. You know, that I'm, I'm all of a sudden saying, oh, my boyfriend. And so that horrified me. And I went, that that's worse for, for everyone who knows me, the, the, the women's community. I mean, I played women's music festivals. I mean, I, you know, all these people that I knew, I thought, ah, this is, this is devastating. I've got to come out. I made the choice. I'm going to come out. I was going to come out on Arsenio Hall, his show, because because he was the one guy who would sit down and, and actually interview me. So I was like, OK, I'm going to come out on a show. But then I played the triangle ball at Clinton's inauguration. And I just said, hey, you know, I'm so proud to be a lesbian. And then that was it. You know, wait, are you saying that Arsenio Hall, that none of the other talk shows wanted you to come out on their show? Yeah, I would. Uh, I think I had like David Letterman. I would play a song, but that was it. They, I would never sit down and talk. Arsenio Hall was the only one I had sat down and talked with. Oh, interesting. I mean, so like months later, you won your second Grammy for "Come to My Window." That that must have been reassuring. That okay, I can have a music career. Well, it came, what happened was I I came out, and this is before the internet. This is before social media, and it was a slow. It's slow coming out. What would happen is back then I would do interviews with every single local paper and each of them, when they would do their research, would see that I came out. And so every paper I did, I, I just talked about being gay for like two years. I did interview after interview after interview about being gay. And it was this slow sort of build as my album was was building. So I sold you know, six million albums, the album was huge and it didn't hurt. And all this publicity didn't hurt because they would put me like on the front page. This is uh, the first out, you know, person. And so I got this extra publicity. You know, the gay community came around and then it just, it worked. That's such an interesting difference in just like the news cycle where like now if you came out, it would be everywhere within like three minutes. (laughs) And so you in a way had to keep like outing yourself, you know, like day after day. I got very good about talking about being gay. You know, I mean, really for a few, for, for a good two, three years, that's all I talked about. And, and I remember thinking someday it, this will just be a color in my crayon box, but still to this day, there's some place people say, Oh, that's the lesbian rock star, you know? And I'm okay. You know, if you wanted that, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Still, but not, but not many, not many. I, I've had cancer. I've, you know, all these other things have happened. It's all right. It's also so interesting that you were having to out yourself like day after day to journalists, but also you were face to face with them and seeing their reactions with each and every one of them, as opposed to like a blank face on the internet. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was it was interesting because a lot of the interviews I did were with very kind of misogynistic, um, you know, rock and roll, all these old rock and roll guys. And a lot of them didn't quite know what to to say or, or do with me. And some of them just, you know, left me alone. And, you know, some would ask me some really deeply intense questions, you know, and it was okay though. It was all right. Are you saying intense questions like about your sex life? No, they would never be inappropriate. Uh, like I just remember one, uh, I think it was a Dutch journalist and he's, he was this guy, but he's, you know, he was like the rock journalist. And he, he says, well, and I can't do a Dutch accent, but he, but he, you know, would say, Hey, I think that rock and roll is, is a male energy. It's a male, you know, that has to sing rock and roll. But now that you're gay, I guess that's still true because you're singing about a woman. You know, he tried to make it that even though I was a woman and I was a rocker and, and a successful rocker, it didn't really count because I still liked women, you know? And I was like, how you, how you working that? I mean, with like the misogyny in the industry, the sexism, which isn't every industry, but in terms of just like the Me Too movement and like we're talking more openly about like sexual assault, did your queerness protect you from like those more serious things? Yes, it did. Actually, I totally totally think that because anytime I, I mean, I remember, oh man. <laughs> okay. I, I I've seen people like start to, you know, back in the late eighties, kind of even before I came out, but you know, maybe the person, the record executive or whatever that was with me, everyone knew, that worked with me knew I was gay, but it may be the person I was talking to didn't know. And you would get this kind of extra attention. And then all of a sudden someone would lean over and say something to them and they'd go, oh, oh, okay. And, and back off. So I had a, I had a, I had a couple of, you know, um, name people start to approach me. And then obviously they got the word and I never heard from them again. So you could just see it change in their eyes. It definitely protected. It definitely protected me. It was like, oh no, there's, there's just, there's nothing here for you to sniff around. Wow. And then I do want to make sure we talk about the new album that's coming out. These are all previously unreleased tracks. I know with, as an example, Come to My Window, you've said that you almost didn't put out that song because you didn't think it was good enough. And now it is, you know, one of your biggest songs. Are these songs like that that you've changed your mind on or were wrong about? Maybe you didn't think they were good, but now you do. How are you thinking about all of them? Yeah, well, back in the late 80s, early 90s, before I had children and as busy, crazy of a life as I have now, I had a lot of time to write and a lot of time to work on music. And so each album had a a lot of songs that didn't make the albums. And when I went back a few years ago, I was going to do a box set and it it I, I ended up getting off my record label and everything. So it didn't happen. But I I investigated all these old demos I had and I started listening and I was like, wait a minute, these are really good songs. And then um, I said, I, I need to go record these. And, and then I started realizing that some of them were, I didn't put on albums because one, some of them I wasn't out yet. And they were, they were a little like, there's a, there's a song on the album called wild, wild, wild. And it's very, I am singing to a feminine. It, it's just obvious, you know, you know, he stopped crying. So, you know, there's very, very like you know, the, the other person is very feminine. I remember I loved the song and I was like, I can't. And I stopped myself from doing it. Then songs like Cool As You Try and Save Myself are really, I mean, they're very feminist based, very powerful based that, that fit 
perfectly now. It's fair. We're, we're, we're there now, but 25 years ago, 30 years ago, mm, they were a little overly powerful. You know, if you, you know, were around or an adult back in the late eighties, early nineties, you kind of remember there wasn't a big, there was a big feminist backlash. So it was, it was different. And so now I look at these songs and go, Oh, they're, I mean, they're you know, innocent now, but back <laughs> then I, I had a little like, Oh, so I didn't put them out. I think maybe too, that is what people respond to in your music is like, you're walking at this line and you're not going over it. You're not also naming yeah, the line. Yeah. Like, like for example, the boy is strange. It's like, you hear that song and you're like, wait, what is this about? And then you came out and you made a little more insights there. There's like a queer reading. But I think like that makes you like want to play it again and again to like try to figure it out, quote unquote. And that I did that a lot on purpose. I remember writing that because because I wrote it about my girlfriend's ex-husband, who was a friend of mine and how now he couldn't be because I had an affair with his wife, you know, whatever. But um, not proud of it, but okay. And he and 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 I it's a song about he doesn't know how to be friends with me now and the boy feels strange you know and but we were we were we really got along and we were really good friends and um it was so and i knew when i put that out people would go what huh but uh that's i did it on purpose like that that was absolutely how what i meant to do so like how many unreleased songs do you like have like is that in the hundreds no no, I'd say it's about, I'd say I have about maybe a hundred, maybe. I'd say there, there would be only about 50 that I would really like be okay. Other people listening to the other 50 are probably not ever, but uh, yeah, but you know, they, they're here. These are nine, 10. I have more that I, that I would definitely release. You're now 60. Like what was that like to hear like the younger twenties, thirties, Melissa, <laughs> like in, in action? A lot of it, I have to. A couple things happened. One, I I appreciate that I think I've gotten better as a singer. I've 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 gotten healthier. I'm a healthier body, and I sing a little bit more, a little more full than I did back then. Wait, so I, I don't want to cut you off, but that shocks me that you didn't think that you were like a full singer. Because to me, like that's the first word I'd use. <laughs> All performers are incredibly insecure. You would just be surprised. And so it did my heart good to go back and listen and go, oh, you know, I wasn't as bad as I thought, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time, I'm bummed to say. But, you know, the real purpose of this interview was just for me to yell at you for not playing New York City on your current tour. So, like, what <laughs> okay. is up with that, Melissa? I know. You know why? Because the way that the tour landed was that why I had just played New York City 2020, I was going to do these other gigs, but now it's 2021 and it's like, oh gosh, now it's going to be three years before I go back in the city. But I do have dates planned for 2022. So we've already got them planned. I'm coming to New York City. It's just that the way it all turned out with the COVID rescheduling everything, it didn't happen. All right, 2022, I will see you there. Great, I'm ready. Well, this was fantastic. Melissa, thank you so much for taking time for it. Thank you so much, hon. Of course. Bye. And that was Melissa Etheridge. Her brand new album, One Way Out, is out right now. 
And then we do have a tiny favor to ask while you're here. I think this can be quick and easy for everyone. If you enjoyed our interview with Melissa or any of our previous ones, please help us to spread the word. Do a tweet, a Facebook post, text three of your closest friends. Those are really the biggest ways you can help our show continue to grow and continue to stay free. So thank you so much to everyone who does that. It means the world and really is a massive, massive help. We're on social media at LGBTQPod. I'm on there at JeffMasters1. We're brought to you by The Advocate Magazine in partnership with Glad. I'm Jeffrey Masters. I will see you next week. Bye.